Hi, this is Kara Ellison, writer of The Final Girls. Hi, this is Sally Cantorino. I'm the artist of The Final Girls. Welcome to Spoiler Country. guys welcome back to spoiler country i'm can agree in that right there right there is mr horsley and uh why don't you just come on in and sit down and have some fun <laughs> because today on the show special we got kara ellison and sally Cantrina. i hope i say her last name right cantorino sally cantorino and kara ellison yeah they came on talk with yeah. jeff and they talk about their new series, The Final Girls. It's a Comicsology original series, which is kind of cool. I like the fact that Comicsology has their own, like, the whole, like, digital series you can come out of, of a, you know, special books, which are pretty awesome. Yeah. It's kind of funny because so people know. Um, Johnny is my, my, my compass north when it comes to making sure that we do these right. <laughs> Introducing people. And he sends me a note and it says, Kara Ellison, Sally Kentra. Why am I having such a hard time with her? <laughs> you're name? so good about names too. Cantorino. And it says, and it goes hyphen Jeff's colon or Jeff comma, the final girls comicsology original series. <laughs> and I read it in my mind that the, the title of their book was Jeff, the final girls comicsology original series. <laughs> so Jeff is the final girls. <laughs> Jeff is the final girls. It was hilarious. Um, I have not had a chance to look at this book yet. Have you looked at it? I have looked at it and it looks it's I have not read the whole thing yet, but I've read the first yeah. little bit of it. It's it's pretty good, man. It's pretty cool. Oh, cool. I have to check it out cuz um I recently restarted my Comicsology nice um subscription, so maybe I'll go and take a look. Well, not maybe. I will go and take a look and probably enjoy it because I'm a sucker for comic books. Right. <laughs> I'm a sucker for stories. <laughs> sucker for stories. Well, should we just get into this and listen Let's do it. Listen to Karen and Sally. Hello, listeners of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have the fantastic Kara Ellison and the fantastic Sally Cantorino. How's it going? Hi, good. Thank you. Doing good. Thanks. I want to thank you guys very much for coming to the show. It's a great pleasure. Yes, you forget to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us on. Definitely my pleasure. So the first question I always ask my, my my comic guests is, what was your first introduction to the world of comic books? Oh wow, that can go to Sally first because Sally oh. has some good answers. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think one of my first introductions to comics was Tokyo Pop in the '90s put out this thing called Mixine, where they had the Sailor Moon manga, um, and I remember my mom buying that for me. So it had like Sailor Moon, it had uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth. So it has like a mix of shoujo and shonen manga. Later on in high school, I started reading some of the 90s, late 80s, early 90s Vertigo stuff that they were, I think they were reprinting it as trades, as well as our library had the coffee table book of Locust Love and Rockets by the Hernandez Brothers. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's yeah. good. Uh, 90s Vertigo. So you're talking about what, Sam Man, Preacher, things of that nature? Yeah, like Doom Patrol, Animal Man, Shade the Changing Man, Preacher. The, the, those are some good ones. Uh, how about you, Kara? 
Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I guess I also came to it via manga because I actually started reading manga after I saw Cowboy Bebop <laughs> at university. And so I actually sought out like manga a little bit after that because I got more interested in, you know, the Jap- Japanese kind of pop culture at that point. And I did later actually go to live in Japan and figured out that that's a relatively niche thing in Japan. <laughs> but yeah, I actually then kind of took a little bit of a break from comics after that, but I came back into it via the regular way that everyone who comes to it is interested in, you know, the DC Vertigo stuff. So I read like Watchmen and then I tried to read everything that Alan Moore had written, including some of his future shocks. There were there's a collected Alan Moore future shocks that he had done for 2000 AD which are all heavily angry about Thatcher, which I really enjoy. <laughs> um, they're all like very much like thinly veiled. Like I hate Thatcher and she is rubbish and that kind of stuff. But And then I fell into a huge Garth Ennis period. And I actually really started to get into stuff like The Boys. And I, yeah, so I had a, like a, a good period of that. And then I kind of went into like a, a very feminist angle after that. And then Kelly Sue DeConnick, anything that she mm. had done, I got really into. So I really loved Bitch Planet a lot, like a lot, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So Miss Ellison, you you worked as a QA tester for Rockstore North um, on Grand Theft Auto 4, is that correct? That's true, yes. So what does a QA tester actually do? So a QA tester for a video game, it sounds kind of fun on the like on the outside. <laughs> and then when you actually do the job, it's it's terrible. But essentially, well, it's not terrible. And some people enjoy it, but essentially it's kind of like it's it's like if you get if you get like a broken game, if you ever played a game that is buggy or didn't quite work very well, it's kind of like that where you play an early version of a game that isn't fun yet. And you're, it's your responsibility to find all the awful parts of it and the parts that don't work and then send a report to the programmers. And then the programmers hopefully will fix it for you. And then the next day you have to replay the exact same part of the game to see if it's still there. Um, it's not a fun job. I actually spent most of my time you know like running into walls trying to find (laughs) invisible holes in the world that kind of thing it wasn't super fun (laughs) so are you were you actually are you good uh, at gaming i'm pretty good i would say i actually am the best racing games like car games because Mm. i'd spent so long on rockstar games i'm actually quite good at driving in games now so miss elsie you also were a journalist for pc gamer and rock paper shotgun is that correct that's right yes and also for television. So as someone who's written for um, comic books, television, and for as a journalist for magazines, would you say that the fundamentals of writing is universal throughout each medium? They can vary quite a bit, especially with like how much control you have over things. So for example, with journalism, you obviously usually have an editor who they'll tell you usually what they want you to write about. And then you go away, research it and write a bit about it, unless you pitch a feature, for example. And then they'll also kind of make corrections and stuff like that. With TV writing, it's often slightly more collaborative. So you have to be kind of arguing over everything with everyone <laughs> else in the room constantly. It's kind of the same in the video game arena. So now that I design video games, everyone is like collaborating. So no one person really gets to kind of tell the story, I guess. So knowing how to analyze a game, which is, once again, story structure, does does that give you a a better sense of how to um, organize and world build for comic books? I would say that it helps. I think comics are very different 
medium, mainly because a lot of the world building, I mean, you obviously want to do a lot of the research and legwork for the team, but you also kind of want to be able to write to that very strict page number. You Mm. also want to usually, if it's a traditional comic book, you want to write to a page turn, you know, you want to be able to provide cliffhangers if needs be. So it's quite a a strict structure, but what does help you writing for comics if you're a video game type, you tend to make try to make your uh, dialogue quite short. It's it's helpful as a skill to be able to fit, you know, things like big things into a small sentence, essentially. Mm. So speaking of developing comic books, Ms. Canarino, uh, you first started self-publishing comic books in high school. Is that right? Yeah, I, I was sort of on the fringes of the music scene in New Jersey, just like, you know, going to shows and that sort of DIY culture. Once I started going to, I did uh, pre-college classes at School of Visual Arts in New York to kind of find that zine culture and that mini comics culture and started drawing and writing my own stuff. And was, you know, just going to Staples or Kinko's or whatever and photocopying and just making my own little mini comics, just doing everything, but like literally cutting and pasting. (laughs) So, So what did your friends think of you as an early comic book artist? Were they encouraging of you making your and self-publishing comic books where they thinking what the hell is she doing <laughs> i think um maybe i little of both <laughs> obviously <laughs> like you know my friends i have a lot of friends who were also creative also musicians also artists also writers you know and i i hope that we all encourage each other <laughs> yeah so um, <laughs> i know it's a little bit like oh you're the you're the friend who can draw so draw this <laughs> <laughs> So, so for my day job, I'm a high school English teacher and I have some students who are definitely lovers of art. So, and it always kind of, I think they always get stuck in thinking as, you know, as teenagers, what is it that they want to say and focus on it when they do want to work on their own project, including, so I think we have one, uh, we do have one that is interested in comic books. So as a teenager, what were your comic books focusing on? A lot of them were just, I like, if you look at like what my influences were, it was, music it was living living in new jersey it was uh stuff like love and rockets but also the sort of surrealness of things like doom patrol so it's like i wanted to make weird comics like doom patrol i wanted to make stories that were about these interpersonal dramas and friendships like like love and rockets so um, i just oh sorry um not, i just uh, found uh, it like for me I didn't feel like I was a great artist and I didn't feel like I was a great writer, but I felt when I make made comics, I could tell a story more effectively than just making art or just writing. Mm. And well, you also later was an alumni of a, a pre-college program in a visual arts in New York and a uh, sequential artist workshop in, in Gainesville, in Gainesville, Florida. So what did you, how did that help you as an artist and storyteller? So I knew Tom Hart and Dalila Corman from Tom Hart being one of my teachers at SVA. And when they moved down to Gainesville and Tom started sequential artist workshop, you know, I was kind of just miserable at university in New Jersey. Like I was just going to state school, like whichever school was just going to give you the most scholarship money. <laughs> it was like, you know, more interested in going to shows and going to class, you know, and Tom had invited me to be part of the program down there. And so I, being part of that, having that mentorship structure was a lot more, it it was a lot better for me than being in college classes. You know, Tom Mm -hmm. is an excellent storyteller. Leela Corman's an excellent storyteller. I learned 
pretty much like relearned how to draw and how to ink from Justine Mara Anderson, who was like an alumni of some of those Vertigo books that I was reading. You know, she worked as an inker for them and for Wizards of the Coast and I think Lucasfilm as well. So, you know, having that mentorship really helped me grow as an artist. It's also extremely cheap to live in Florida. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a good place to be sort of struggling to be a freelancer. Mm. <laughs> That's cool. So, so eventually you guys found each other. So how did the idea of final girls come about and how did you guys find each other and that partnership start? So I started writing the first issue of the final girls in 2015, which is a really long time ago. And I think it was, it was possibly a reaction to something I had, I had read and or seen on TV at the time. I think it was, I, I watched top of the lake. I don't know if you're f- familiar with top of the lake, but it's like a kind of a drama about what women do when there's a horrible crime somewhere in New Zealand. And it's very kind of naturey and like cool looking at all the landscapes and stuff. And, and I think it converged somehow with my reading the boys and I also I think maybe around that time was Jessica Jones coming out or something I can't remember but basically Mm -hmm. something had converged and like those ideas clashed and I was just like I have the story I know I'm the only person who could probably be into telling this story and I started writing this thing and all my writer friends really liked it so I just kept workshopping it basically and then a while later I showed it to my friend and editor Katie West and Katie was like I want to make this comic so let's find some people who can help us so that's where Sally came in really (laughs) yeah KW from the band Vile Creature I think is a friend of Katie's and they had just like DM'd me out of the blue like hey are you like do you mind if I pass your portfolio along to my friend Katie West? <laughs> and they did. And then Katie reached out to me. Though, Kara, it's funny. I, a year later, I just found out we have a bunch of like, like we know a bunch of mutual people through Unwinnable. <laughs> oh, no way. Because, yeah, yeah because uh, Stu, <laughs> Stu Horvath, he used to edit Unwinnable. And he was just like such an amazing person because he actually kind of is responsible for starting my writing career in games. <laughs> so, yeah, Stu's the best. Boyfriend does the vintage RPG podcast with Stu. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I didn't even know this. I'm just finding this out. So, that's, you know, that's this podcast as we just find out. <laughs> You're both welcome. Uh, Thank you. Well, since you brought it up, so what is Unwindable then? Since I, I actually have no idea what that is. It's basically a video game magazine. It was started up by Stu and a few other people. And essentially it's based out of New Jersey, I think. And it's like kind of like, it's not just video games. It's kind of pop culture, comics, all sorts of things. And I got recruited to write for them a very long time ago. It was probably like, I don't know, 2011. And yeah, I just like, I, I guess it made my career in a way because I made a small uh, interactive fiction game for the magazine because it's online it's like digital and um, because of that game I got recruited to start to make my own games so that kind of made me into a game designer in a way <laughs> well that's really cool and, and I also want to thank you for pointing out that 2015 is a long time ago <laughs> it is so long <laughs> because I feel like we've been in this pandemic for like 50 years now. <laughs> yeah, last year was 10 years long. So yeah. 2015 <laughs> was 16 years ago, I think. Exactly. Man, time, oh man, time is awful. I, I, I actually just realized for the very first time 
I will never again have a student in my class who was alive during 9-11. So, yes, it just, just reminded me that apparently time is moving by extremely quickly and slow on some level. So anyways, so how does this partnership function between you two? Does Miss Ellison, are you writing for full script? Are you writing like a Marvel plot summary? How much leeway does Miss Canarino have? So I, I basically figured out that the story I wanted to tell was so complex. I would have to script every beat, do most of the locations research and like do a lot of like kind of background work because it, it was, we had to do a lot with five issues, basically. It should have probably been a much longer comic, but we were only um, going to do five issues basically just so we could maximize the amount of um, money that we could pay our contributors and also not, you know, break Sally and the rest of the team like yeah, <laughs> with like the workload. So basically we wanted to make the comic into five. So that meant that I had to plot everything really, really, really carefully so that it would have a satisfying end ending. And people tell me that it, the, the comic succeeded, but the setup in the beginning is like really hard because you have to, it's an ensemble comic. So any mm. ensemble comic, you know, when you've got that first issue, it's like really tough to get right. So yeah, so I just felt like I had to do almost everything and then just hope that Sally got it and she she did she just like nailed it every time <laughs> thank you Kara <laughs> I it's did true. a lot of like flying around on Google Earth like <laughs> I have no, I have never been to Scotland I have no conception of Scotland <laughs> I you was come from Philadelphia at the time I was just kind of like I'm just well, gonna like Philadelphia is like this Google Earth doesn't fail me <laughs> Yeah, Philadelphia is kind of like the Scotland of America anyway. Well, <laughs> <laughs> anywhere on the East Coast. <laughs> I feel like as someone from New Jersey and like living in Philly for two years, it's like, okay, I understand the like attitude. <laughs> yeah, it's so similar. I feel like the humor is really similar as well. Every time I visit it anyway, people are like, they've got that kind of cynical humor that the West Coast doesn't have. So. Yeah, it's like only we can insult us. Exactly. <laughs> insult us. <laughs> we'll fight you. That's but it. We can insult us <laughs> as much as we want. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly did not know there were actually real locations that you guys were using. I unfortunately being was maybe it's part of being an American that I, I do not understand the geography of anything that's outside the United States. So I didn't realize those are all real, absolute real places that they were referencing. Yeah. So I I tried to send along, you know, like links of pictures that give a good reference for each of the locations but yeah they're all real places just because I thought you know that would be easier to to draw especially if you hadn't been to Scotland like it would be actually harder to make a fictional fictional Scotland <laughs> than, than than just draw from photographs so mm. I sent them along I actually recruited a lot of my friends to take pictures as well sometimes but it sometimes didn't quite work <laughs> that way but yeah so, Ms. Canaria, so how was it to try to visualize a place in, you know, in, 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 in a real tangible way that you've never actually been? It's, it's very difficult, but, you know, like having, having resources like Google Earth, having resources like just being able to Google these places and get a sense of them, you know, it's like, all right, I can build this out into my head, like the beachfront of the North Sea where the oil rigs are. It's like, okay, I can, I can build a scene in my head based on, you know, flying around in Google Earth. And if I can kind of visual it and visualize it and be able to turn it around kind of 360 in my head and figure things out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I mean, Kara was great about saying like, it's this bar, it's this 
area of rich houses. It's this beach. It's this lake. Yeah, and- there's one panel that Sally did for the 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 townhouses in Edinburgh that's amazing. It's like a, an angle that you would never have thought of. You know, if you're a writer, you think in just like words. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're like imagining and words and what whatnot. But like it, it's just something that I feel like Sally brought to to everything where. She actually made, she had this one angle on the townhouses that like shows the actual curve of the street because it's almost like a half moon kind of uh, street. And she managed to show that curve in this really amazing angle that she put on the on the houses. And I, I was just rereading it like this week and I was like, God, that's such a good, that's such a good panel, you know? And there's like yeah. loads of those where she managed to just like get that. And I don't know, it was very impressive to me, someone who cannot draw at all (laughs) yeah I mean sometimes just like drawing something the most accurate way if it you know is not always the most accurate way of showing it or seeing it like you could go to those houses in real life and that curve would not be as pronounced but it wouldn't have the same drama it wouldn't read the way that it's like well these this is it's a circle you know it's the street is literally called like a circus it's circular yeah, like, <laughs> I have to show that it's this this unique, interesting place and shape. Yeah, a Royal Circus is actually, I think, where Sean Connery's townhouse was when he <laughs> lived in Edinburgh. So that's like the richest postcode, I think, in Edinburgh is that one street. So I had to put it in because I was just like, these houses are ridiculous. You know? <laughs> you, you know, that's really kind of interesting what, what Ms. Elson was, was saying about as writer, because I, I write as well. And I, and I realized as a writer, I'm not great visually. So I'm sure there's a lot of things I'm putting in a panel or think I'm putting in a panel that works in my head, but don't work in actual two dimensions of a comic book. Were, yeah. there, were there instances like that where you realized you had to make a compromise? Because, you know, Sally, Ms. Canarina was saying, you know, as someone who actually has to do the art, this is not possible on an actual page to make yeah. that work. Definitely. There are definitely times where everyone was just like, I don't think we can do this. Is there some other way? Or can we sometimes actually panels are they have to show a little bit too much going on and there's not actually room for these the dialogue anymore. So that then that has to be shifted to another panel or you have to rewrite it. So that happens a lot. But I think also just like Communication is really important. You know, it was like Katie and me and Sally constantly kind of going, okay, well, can we have less? I mean, I always just said to Sally, like, if you need to draw less panels or more panels, like, I'm totally cool with it. Like, you kind of know where we're going anyway. So hopefully she felt like she had the freedom to kind of mess around with the script anyway. But I I feel like a lot of it is just being like, well, this isn't feasible or I can't <laughs> show this. You know, sometimes, like, I think I think when you first start writing comics, people are like, they're always giving you the feedback of like, well, you can't have two emotions in one panel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, as a writer in your brain, you're like, oh, you can, you can do that, but you can't, you have to have separate emotions and separate <laughs> panels, which I think is a writer's big problem sometimes. But yeah, I think we coped. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah I, but I, then I, like, if you split the emotions into like one emotion, in one panel and one emotion, in another panel, it's these two t- small panels next to each other. It builds this, moment 
you know, Mm. tangible moment. (laughs) Yeah. And also like, I feel, I feel a lot like making room for the beat, an extra beat to happen is a really interesting thing that an artist can do. Like where you can just be like, actually this moment would land better if we did this. And I think that's like just part of the process. You know, when you're making a comic, you just kind of have to like, be like, okay, I think this would like give it a little bit more emotion than if we just add the line and then moved on. Yeah, I, I want to admit, as as, a, as the writer, sometimes I think to myself, "Can you just make this panel like animated? <laughs> just make it so yeah. I, can, I can put all in it what I want. <laughs> Somehow find a way." Like yeah. a hologram panel or something. <laughs> I think it's also like about kind of figuring out the relationship as well, because I think some comic book writers that I've worked with, they kind of want you to just be like, okay, go nuts here, do whatever, whatever you want. Yeah. But there are other right, other other comic art, comic book artists that are a lot more like, I need to know every single detail and I want to know exactly what you mm. need from me. And most people are kind of in between, but like some people are like, no, no, no I want to just like do what I want with your script. And like, I think all of it is fine. You just have to adapt. Yeah. So, so Final Girls is a new five issue series released exclusively via Comixology Originals line of exclusive content. So why was Comixology the best vehicle for this series? Um, they really wanted to publish risky material, I think. I think that's why they have put out like a lot of books that are like really unusual and they have teams that are just getting started or teams with unusual ideas. So I think our book was just like honestly the weirdest pitch they'd ever got. So they were just like, <laughs> oh cool, you know what I mean? So so what was the pitch? The pitch was, so basically it was about the way that justice has means something different to our generation. So a lot of uh, superheroes uh, obviously go out there and, you know, kick the bad guy's ass and Hmm. that's the comic. But I think now we're coming around to the idea that maybe another form of justice apart from punitive justice is slightly better to make sure that people don't commit the same crime again or who don't or, or don't hurt anyone again. Because I think statistics have kind of generally proved out that sending someone to jail is not going to reform them and it's not going to stop them from doing that doing something bad again so basically i was like what if superheroes really had to think about that question right like what if they genuinely had to think okay well we can't kick people's asses anymore so what do we do about that you know how do we change people for the better and help them and protect you know survivors instead of actually just spending all of our energy on blowing stuff up you know (laughs) yeah every two weeks like on twitter there's discourse about like batman should be using his money to help people (laughs) car so he can drive to beat people up it's like (laughs) this again this (laughs) <laughs> I know it's like the same thing every time um, and you're just like yeah and like and it's also kind of a little bit but you know if you ever wondered you know how does Clark Kent keep his job at the Daily Planet <laughs> right like how does he afford his freaking rent on a journalist salary like all of that kind of very basic stuff it's just like well I built that into the comics so that you know all of the superheroes invoice the UN for helping during an earthquake and stuff mm. like that because how can they survive if they're not invoicing for their rescue <laughs> labor so you know there's a bunch of that kind of stuff that used to like really piss me off about um, comics that they just didn't address that sort of stuff well the one one 
kind of one of the concepts that were in that in the series is kind of how the government in, in the story kind of utilizes the heroes as weapons, as almost like resources for the government. Yeah. And I found it kind of interesting that, and kind of of course that popped in my mind, is the government viewing the weapons as uh, the, the powers as being the resource or does it feel citizens in general are just part of the peasantry that serves the larger, let's say Lord, as it were, because kind of, kind of was discussed almost like in a feudal sense where the, the poor exist to serve those in charge. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because obviously there isn't too much room in the comic and the five issues to explore the bigger ideas of the, the world building. But essentially the way that that was working was basically it was a it was a labor issue. So essentially the idea that the superheroes, there are like quite a few, quite a lot of superheroes and they're all like, you know, they're all doing this invoicing situation. But like the obviously the current situation in America is that freelancers have no health care. They don't have access to a lot of things that their rent is going up. The gig economy basically forces people to compete with each other for very small amounts of salary or a small project and things like that. It's actually really stressful. And and a lot of people who are involved in that kind of work are also doing it, you know, like EMTs and like people will um, become an EMT, but they're again, like they they're they're kind of uh, disposable in a way. They're not they're not people who they're basically are are real life superhero type people, and they're not really respected or compensated in in any real way or in the way that they should be anyway. So a lot of that was like commentary essentially on how probably being a superhero wouldn't actually be very much appreciated, and actually is very like people are it's not a, you know. It's a, it's a task that's not very well, you know, rewarded, essentially. So they, they, they had basically marched on Washington, D.C. to be able to get some compensation and protection and, and all that kind of stuff. And then instead, they had banned superheroes. So that's the <laughs> beginning of the comic. So one thing that's, as you mentioned earlier, is that this is a huge ensemble comic book. So for both of you, as both a writer and an artist, how do you... you create an ensemble like this and make sure that each aspect is unique, both as a writer and making sure they're unique and expression and very expressive, unique in a unique way as an artist. It's, I mean, I think, I think the way that Sally makes this comic look is not something that I originally imagined it would look like mainly because, you know, this, the comics that we see that come out for things like Marvel are like these very glossy, like kind of like they look a little bit too polished, like a little bit too like, I don't know, there's a there's a quality to them that is very kind of, I don't know, it's it's very flat almost. Whereas a lot of like I think the reason I like Sally and Gab Contreras, who is, is our, our colorist, I like them both is because they actually bring a lot more complexity to the art because they bring all this like extra depth. So Sally's art, there's a lot of kind of, there's like kind of inherent like scratchy, punky kind of um, like horror-esque kind of like vibe to Sally's art. And so it brings a lot more character into the comic just in terms of like people's facial experience expressions like the way that ash's ash black's powers work where it's like you know it's billowing out of her all this like black shadow stuff and then you've also got gab Contreras, who is like the most amazing colorist and she she uses like loads of different almost like neon type colors 
to, to bring lots of depth and like different flavors to each of the pages. So it's not like when you think about Scotland, you always think about, you know, this very dull brown and green palette. It's very drab, but that's not what Gab made it look like. So I feel like together, like Sally and Gab especially made the comic look really, really different from most comics out there. Thank you, Kara. Yeah, I think Gab did an amazing job. I mean, I, you know, just every, every set of pages she was in back, it was just blew me away because they were just these saturated colors and these neons that I would never have expected, you know, and managed to look perfect. But yeah, I mean, when it came to character design, you know, you just, I had to think about what their powers were. How do they interact with the world? How do they interact with themselves? You know, someone like Asua who doesn't want to be in the spotlight is going to be much more casual than Ash who still has to be like an influencer versus Ko who has, you know, has to put physical barriers between her and the world because of the way her powers work. So she had a lot of layers and leather jackets and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Okay, so, uh, so we're down to, our, unfortunately, four minutes left. So I'm, I'm going to try to squeeze in definitely one question, and then maybe you can backtrack to another. So my f- next question is going to be, what are you guys both working on now? And will Final Girl see a sequel? Oh, I am working on several different video game projects at once, which is always the thing that I do. And none of them have been announced, unfortunately. I would do another Final Girls if we got a bunch of money. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also coincidentally exactly what the Final Girls themselves would say. I am working on a book called I Walk With Monsters from Vault Comics. That's written by Paul Cornell, colored by Derville Kelly. The last two issues are coming out this month, I think next week. Issue five is coming out next week. And then the last issue, issue six is coming out in May. I'm going to be doing more work with Vault in the future. That's not announced yet. But yeah, if you if you liked the horror elements, if you liked uh, Ash's powers in uh, The Final Girls, like go check out um, I Walk With Monsters. Well, I'm going to uh, bef- I'm gonna try to squeeze in one more question. But I do, um, in case we get cut off, I want to thank both of you for talking with me. Final Girls was a fantastic book. I really enjoyed reading it. I think you had, it's a, it definitely felt unique within the genre, uh, which is, I think, very needed right now. Well, thank you. We try to subvert practically every everything that like like superhero comics especially do. And so one of the cool things is that people have told us that they were really surprised and like rewarded by getting to the end of the comic and like seeing how it all pans out. So I'm like really glad that it's kind of hit home for people. So I'm going to try to squeeze in a question real quick. i got two minutes left. There's a line in it that I really like. It's, it's, it goes, the articulation of no is a crime. No is what you say when you honor yourself and not others where no will be punished. Can you both, ex- uh, can you expand a little bit on what the line means and why would no is as a punishable idea? Uh, two so gen- minutes. Okay. Generally, I feel like women, when they say no, are generally punished. And it's not just with like the serious stuff, but like the very small time stuff as well. When you set a boundary, often people are like, well, you know, I'll just override that boundary or I won't accept it. It Happens in a lot of movies, you know, where like the guy continues to pursue women when they say no. So a lot of that is just about the experience of being seen as a woman, I think. Do you want to add to that as well, Ms. Cantorino? No, I think Kara nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Well, <laughs> well, I want to thank you, like I say, guys, so much. It was a um, fantastic talk to both of you, and you guys are always welcome back. Hey, thank you awesome. so much. Thank you. Have a very good day. You too. You too. Bye. 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 Bye.